We are continuing with the raising of Lazarus, the Gospel of John, chapter 11, turn to verse 38. Verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor. For he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Wow. Wow. One of the most spectacular things that ever took place in the history of the world as Jesus walks into the tomb uh, and brings Lazarus back from the dead after four days. Uh, as we've studied this and, and, and studied the issues coming up to Jesus actually raising Lazarus from the dead, uh, we see how John has written this gospel. This is the last of the seven miracles in the gospel of John. It's interesting. Uh, only seven miracles, but each one of the miracles unbelievably poignant and each one expressing a strong theological message. Now, this miracle is the most momentous of any of the others. Uh, and it is at this point, when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, that the religious leaders say, he must die. We can't go on any longer with this guy. He's got to die. Because he's wrecking everything that we have spent our lives building up. This empire that we've built. Uh, and we have to kill him. And so I want to reflect first for you in the, in the prior miracles, what it means in those prior miracles, and what was the message in each one of them. And I do that in point two of the outline, and you see that the first of the miracles in the gospel is the turning of, the, of water into wine uh, at the marriage of Canaan in the gospel of John chapter two. And there it reveals that Jesus is the true source of joy of life in abundance. How do you like that? And you see it right there at the marriage feast. What more joyful place can there be in a marriage feast? And Jesus steps up because the wine has run out. And the celebration would have run out. And Jesus comes in. And Jesus creates and extends the, the joy of that marriage celebration. So you see Jesus being revealed there. And in fact, uh, there's a sentence in that, in that uh, passage in John 2 verse 11 that said, Thus he revealed his glory... And his disciples put their faith in him. So you begin to see how Jesus worked with this miracle and how his disciples had a front row seat. The second miracle is the healing of the son of the nobleman. Um, and that's in Gospel of John chapter 4. And there it shows Jesus to have power over human sickness. And that's why we pray right now. We continue to pray to the Lord because he has power over human sickness. And the extension theologically is this. That that sickness, that human sickness, also extends to spiritual sickness. And that's important. And Jesus is demonstrating that. That sin has caused all kinds of ills. And Jesus is the antidote 
not to sin. The third miracle was the healing of the invalid in, in uh, John chapter 5. Um, and here the spiritual meaning is pretty obvious, that we, as human beings in this world, we are all effectively paralyzed in our sin. We can't get out. We can't help ourselves. We are totally ineffective unless God reaches down to us and touches us. It's a helpless state that we, as humanity, have. Uh, pretty obvious. The feeding of the 5,000 is next in John chapter 6, and that reveals that Jesus is the bread of life. Uh, and that's important. Jesus is the bread of life, the restorative aspect of Christ. There is no life without Christ. And so life in this world improved, extended, and life in the next world improved. The next miracle is Jesus walking on water. Gospel of John, chapter 6. And this points to Jesus' power over nature. Of course he has power over nature. He created nature. He created this world. He created the universe. In fact, I was re recently reading some scientific journals in which they were talking about uh, scientists being amazed at certain uh, atoms and neutrons, not really understanding why the atoms and the neutrons don't destroy each other, that there was some invisible force that, they, that the scientists really couldn't even uh, determine that, cape, that kept these elements from colliding within this molecule and not destroying itself. And I can tell you what that force is. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus is the very glue that keeps the universe together. I'm telling you, he is. And when Jesus finally says, that's it, it's enough, it's all going to come down. All right? It's all going to come down. The sixth miracle is the restoration of sight to the blind man. Uh, that's in the Gospel of John, chapter 9. Uh, and, 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 of course, this demonstrates, again, this demonstrates again, that we, as humanity, are all spiritually blind. All of us. We can't even see our way out of where we are. And many of us don't even recognize the blindness. And only through Christ, only through Christ can that blindness, that spiritual blindness, be affected. Because we walk in darkness. We walk in darkness, and Jesus is the light. That's why Jesus said... I am the light. That's exactly why Christ said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus, the light of life. And so you see that in that miracle. And so in each of these stories, there's a real miracle. There's a factual, physical change. But at the same time, there is a more deeper spiritual element. That's why John has included it in his gospel. Uh, and I've told you from the beginning, this is the book that I would say to you that you give to any person who is becoming a Christian. The Gospel of John. As you can see, we've spent two years on it. Two years. And I still have a lot to go. And the reason for that is that the depth of this Gospel is enormous. Enormous. And that's why it's so important for you to understand it. And so the same, all these spiritual truths that I've just given you about the six miracles are equally true of the seven. Lazarus was certainly raised from the dead. In fact, it was so astonishing that uh, the uh, religious leaders who saw it determined at that point instantaneously, Jesus must die. You can imagine what that had to be like. In fact, from other readings, we know that they also wanted to kill Lazarus. How do you like that? Lazarus must die. Can you imagine having a religion like that? Honestly, and this is what happens when you get caught up into institutional religiosity. 
You're concerned about your own particular denominational aspect. You lose your mind over the greater insights of Christ. Really. What possible thing, what good thing can come from you acting like that? We have to ask God to deliver us from these kinds of strongholds uh, in our parochial way of thinking. We have to look in a more expansive way for a world that's lost. Listen. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that I admire about what my son is doing. You know, the rules have to change how we engage people. And if we don't do that, we're not going to engage them. Not everybody's going to be walking into church. Sometimes the church has to walk out to them. And all we, so we need to talk about that. Well, this, is, this story about Lazarus uh, is, is so poignant because it shows us that we are dead in our sin. We're dead. We are dead men and women walking. Unless Jesus Christ impacts our life, you are dead. You will not get to see God, uh, and your life will end in a terrible way. And you have, the only way, the only way, the one way, one way alone is through Jesus Christ. And we've talked about that. And, and we can only gain spiritual life through Jesus. And so as Jesus stands before the tomb, he asks that they take away the stone. Covering the entrance. And I love Martha. I love Martha. Martha's great. She's the spokesman for the family. You know, she's the spokesman for the family. And don't forget, just a couple of verses before, she goes, You are the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. Yes, Martha, you get it. You get it, dear sister. Now Jesus said, Take away the stone. <gasps> No, don't do that. Are you kidding me? He's got to stink. It's four days. Oh, no, don't go there. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Five minutes before you said, I was the son of God. What happened to your faith? That's, here we go, folks. I give you exhibit A. I give you exhibit A of us. I'm not indicting her. It's us. How many times have you prayed like this? Yes, God, Lord, please, I know you can do this. <sighs> but probably not now. <laughs> not here. Not me. Not this way. How many of us have prayed like that? Boy, there's been a lot of prayers coming out of my mouth like that, you know. And I'm, and I'm just the guy who is, is speaking for all of us. Uh, and, and this is what Martha's doing. Yes, you're God. I believe that, but this is big. He's dead. He's rotting. Don't take away that stone. Uh, and and uh, it's just amazing to me. Jesus responds to her in verses 38 to 40. And we can read that again. Jesus said, uh, verse 40, Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? If you believed, you would see the glory of God. Jesus now creates an entirely different adage. Because Jesus is saying, believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. Now we know as human beings, what do we say? Seeing is believing, right? Oh yeah. Seeing is believing. That's right. We all have said that. Seeing is believing. Oh yeah, you may have said something to me. I know you, but you know what? Seeing is believing. Well, that's not the way it works for God. All right? Jesus inverts this expression. Believing is seeing. And this is an important distinction. 
between God and human beings because human beings are basically untrustworthy. We're liars. Okay? Uh, we're disingenuous. Uh, and so we say things that are not true. And so we as human beings believe that. But then we say, well, well sin's believing. But Jesus says, no, no, not as, as to God. As to God, believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. You believe in God, and when you believe in God and have faith in God, God shows you what faith is about, and God stands tall for what he says. Turn to Numbers 23. Numbers 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Oh, man, that says it all. That says it all. And by the way, this was done by a rather disreputable prophet, Balaam, uh, who had basically gone over to the enemies of Israel uh, and had been uh, asked by the king uh, to put a curse on Israel. Uh, and every time Balaam would try to say something bad about Israel, his mouth would get contorted and he'd say a blessing. All right? And, I mean, it's an amazing story. Also, you know, this is the same guy who was fleeing away, didn't want to be involved, uh, was trying to get away from what God had wanted him to do. And he was on the donkey, and the donkey finally, uh, knowing that they're going away from God's will, the donkey turns around and says to him, what's wrong with you? Where are you going? What's, what's wrong with you? And I, and I love that passage. One of my favorite passages in the Bible because here's what it says. Don't become a big shot because God has used you in some way. He can use a donkey if he decides to do that. All right? He can use a donkey. And so you see this. God doesn't lie. If God says it, you can take it to the bank. That's why believing is seen. We believe in everything that God has told us. And we know that he hears us. We've already talked about our prayers and how that... that uh, Acts. And so Jesus' statement links seeing the glory of God uh, to that kind of faith. Believing uh, is seeing. The interesting thing, however, is that Martha didn't have that kind of faith. Think about it. Oh, don't touch that stone. All right? Uh, she didn't expect the resurrection. Yes, Jesus, I know you can do a lot of things. But this is a bit much. <laughs> And I think that's a prayer some of us have made too, right? Oh man, God, I'm in deep. I'm in deep. You can't handle this one, God. I've dug, I've dug a deep hole. No, 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 no. I want to assure you, if he raised Lazarus from the dead, how big is your problem? Really? I mean, and that's, the, that's the point that really strikes my, my heart right now. And so Martha's going, yes, I know Jesus, you're the son of God, but this is beyond your power. And so Martha doesn't believe that he can do it. And the crowd doesn't believe that he can do it. Why do I say that? Well, look at verse 37. Go back, John 11, verse 37. But some of them, the crowd said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? How do you like that? So there's the crowd. And I'm sure some of them were uh, followers of Jesus or, or at least admirers of Jesus. They weren't all enemies of Jesus. And so here they are saying, well, you know what? Look at this. He, he opened the eyes of the blind man. If he had been here, he probably could have kept him from dying. But bringing him back from the dead, that's big. No, that's not going to happen. So then the question becomes this. Well, who had the faith 
who had the faith so that this miracle came, became possible. There was only one person that had the faith, Jesus Christ. That's where the faith came from. And I want to point the rest of this lesson about faith and what it says about Jesus and how we can get that kind of faith. And really, it's an extraordinary thing about Christ's faith. And so you see it, you see it in Jesus, uh, believing that God will give him this gift, this, this miracle, and, and showing it in so many ways. And so we can complete and utter trust in God. Now I know what you're saying. Well, he's God. No, he's man. Yes, he's God, but he's also man. We've already went through the emotional aspect of Jesus and what he's going through and the suffering that he's going through. And even as man, Jesus had the faith to believe that God would answer him. Uh, and this is very uh, interesting and very important for you and the, the key aspect of our lesson today. What is it about the faith that Jesus had that was so extraordinary? Well, first, it was personal. It was personal. Uh, it is not faith in the abstract, undecipherable, but it's fact, but it's faith in the definable and seeable. Uh, and, it, and it's evidence here in verse 41, where Jesus looked up and says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Wait a minute. Lazarus is still dead. He's in the tomb. And you're praying, Father, I, I thank you that you have heard me. That's the kind of of prayer and faith that God wants us to have. Can you imagine recognizing that even as you reach out and ask God, that you have the faith in God, that he hears you, even if it's not going to come back exactly the way you wanted it to come back. This is a very significant, spiritual, mature decision. Uh, understanding that you're asking God for something, recognizing that he hears you and having the faith to understand that he will answer you. Not necessarily the way you want, but the way he determines is best for you. It's personal. It's personal. Uh, and it's the same way that we say to God, Lord, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. That personal decision, that one-on-one, -on -one, that's the kind of faith we're talking about. Uh, and, and so you see also that Jesus' faith was totally, perfectly trusting. And that's evidence in the fact that he's thanking God even before it's done. Total, perfect reliance on God. And so in many ways, our prayers fail to demonstrate our full conviction that they will be answered. Have you been there? You understand. We pray, you know, we pray. And a lot of us basically uh, have, have what we call prayer for lost causes. God, I need this. Oh, I know I need it. Lord, please do it. I know you probably aren't going to do it. Mm. You know, I know it's, it's too big. I'm asking too much. It's too far gone. It's too lost. I've been too bad. I've done too many bad things. Why would you hear me? We told you why he would hear you. He created you in his image. Why would he not hear you if you're created in the very image of God? Understanding this, I mean, really, this is deep. This is deep understanding how God is speaking to us today in the lessons of, of Lazarus about that kind of faith. And so you see it. And then, and here's a big part, finally, we notice that the faith of Jesus is public. 
Jesus did not express his faith quietly in a corner. You know, it's not like Jesus said, excuse me a minute, I'm going to go behind these rocks and I'm just going to talk to God for a minute, you know? I mean, really, which is how probably we would do it, you know? We don't want to be too out front. We don't want to be too much of a zealot, a fanatic. All of a sudden, our friends are going to be calling us holy rollers. We don't want to be called a holy roller. I want to, uh, this is a personal thing with me. It's personal. Okay? No, it's not personal. You see this? Your faith needs to be public. This has really come to me lately in life, understanding this, that this is part of our ministry to a lost world. The world needs to see what it means to be a Christian. And part of what it means to be a Christian is to have faith in God that he will attend to your needs. And you can't do that privately. You can only do it publicly. And Jesus gives you the perfect example of how Jesus expects us to do this. In which he says publicly, Lord, I thank you that you have heard me. Jesus, oh, wait, wait a minute. There's a rock. There's a guy rotting in there. What are you doing? Have you lost your mind? You understand? Have you lost your mind, Jesus? No, no. That's the kind of faith that we need to have. And so we need to say to people when we're asking for, for intervention that we have a confidence that God hears us. He may not answer us the way we want him to answer, but we have a confidence that he hears the prayer and he's going to attend to the prayer. And so you see that. So we need to express our faith openly, openly, so that others can see it. That's a testimony. So you see it. Personal, deeply abiding, and confident, and finally public. And so this story speaks about lessons to us today as well. Will each of us play our part in the work of God, in the miracles of God? And what do I mean that? Well, obviously no one can raise anyone from the dead but Jesus Christ. But look at what Jesus did here. The first thing he said as he approached the tomb is, move, please have the stone moved. Now let me ask you something. Did Jesus need anybody to have the stone moved? Come on. He's about to raise a guy from the dead. A stone is too hard? <laughs> Jesus could have said one word, let this stone be moved, and the stone would have been moved, right? What's a bigger miracle, moving the stone or raising a guy from the dead? Come on. But look at how Jesus works. Jesus invites humanity to be a participant in the work of God. Big deal here, folks. Big deal. So even as we ask for God's intervention in our life, when we ask for God to do things for us and we pray, God expects us to be part of his plan. This really resonates with me. This is something that I hadn't thought about before as I've read this. God has really kind of revealed it to me over some time. This is important. God wants us to participate. There's another part. Now Lazarus comes out. You can imagine him coming out in short steps, right? Like this. Coming out. Coming out in short steps. He's wrapped up in all this wrapping. Jesus has said, let, let the wrappings fall off. Could he have said that? Of course. Zoom. The wrappings are falling off. Right? But what does Jesus say? Please, unwrap him. Yes. Unwrap him. Oh, my. Unwrap him, meaning God has given us a duty. God has designated that there is something for us to do. And so this is an important lesson for you today. Even as we study and, and, and pray 
and ask God to intervene in our lives, and we do this. Uh, and yet we understand that God has a place for us. He will not do everything himself. God will not go 100% of the way. He wants you to be part of it. The miracle is Christ's, but there is plenty of work available for us to do. Now, there, is, there are plenty of examples of this. Um, and one of the ones that, that uh, resonated with me on this was when Paul was struck down on the road to Damascus. Right? And so he's sent to go to this home to stay there for three days. And then God appears to Ananias and says to Ananias, go, go, go to this house and pray for this guy named uh, Saul and, and anoint him uh, and bring him into the fold as a Christian. And Ananias goes, what? Are you kidding me? It's like we say in New Jersey, are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? I mean, I, I mean, and so you see, now, did Jesus need Ananias? No. He just struck Paul down on the road. Come on, folks. Don't you see how God works? He didn't need Ananias, but he wanted Ananias to be connected to Saul because he wanted Ananias to know this is a real confession. This is a real disciple. And the only way that God knew that that would resonate is for Ananias himself to go there and see it. You see it. Likely, another example of this is, is Peter with Cornelius, right? Did, did uh, God need Peter to go to Cornelius' house? Did he need him? He didn't need Peter. He could have sent an angel. An angel could have given the message to Cornelius. But what? Peter needed to understand that there was a whole new chapter of God's work that involved Gentiles. It wasn't just Jews, it was Gentiles. So God commanded Peter to go to the house of Cornelius and deliver the message. And what I love about that story, which I really do love that story, is Peter gets only part way through the story. It's like almost I could see Peter might have my notes. Yeah, I've got through. Yeah, number six, I got seven, eight, and nine. Don't worry about your notes. Your notes are not important. Right while he's speaking, the Holy Spirit descends. Boom! The Holy Spirit descends on the house of Cornelius. And every single member of that household suddenly receives the Holy Spirit. And is brought into the kingdom of God and into the church of Jesus Christ. Look, God de determines that he will use men and women. But understand this, that this is an important thing for you to do. And recognize that even as you pray, even as you reach out in faith, even as you understand God is preparing miracles and God is doing work, there is a work for us. Not everything is being finished by God. He leaves some of it unfinished so that we can step up. Next week, I'm going to get into the faith of Jesus and what we can do to have that kind of faith as we study the importance of faith. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the words that you've given us. Father, I ask you to that these words resonate in our heart and grow through the Holy Spirit as we see this example of Jesus at the tomb, understanding what faith really is and how you expect us to express this faith. Lord, give us the strength and courage to be like Jesus and to have that kind of faith. Protect our people this week, Lord, and bring them back safely to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.